Coming up, as we wait for training camp and get a sample size of a slightly new-look Brooklyn Nets roster, the big question becomes, can Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson carry this team on the offensive end of the court? We break down all the stats and the questions coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends. It is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie. He's the owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports rankings. From DraftKings to FanDuel, he's got you covered. I'm Adam Arbrecht, breaking down the New York Football Giants on the One Giant Podcast. My boy, Andy Mack, we thank you for making us your first listen of the day and let you know today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% Instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And Doug, for all the speculation about what could be for the Brooklyn Nets, what is, is Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson being the, the focal centerpieces of this roster going to the upcoming season? And it did get you and me thinking about is that good enough with the supporting cast that they currently have? Can this be an offensive team? that can win games consistently, that can outscore other teams. And before we get into all the details, it's just right off the top. What is your assertion about this offense, Doug? Yeah, now that we have sort of like a at least a top-down look at what the offense, or the, excuse me, the, the um, roster is going to look like short of a trade here coming in the summer, which is starting to look increasingly unlikely. I, you know, it's time to start looking about how this team could and maybe should perform. And I think and then the Nets fans aren't going to want to hear it, but I, I think that right off the bat, we have to say, I think we could be looking at an offense that could have significant struggles this season. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons why. And later in the week, we'll talk about the defense, which we're not going to have the same opinion about. Right. <laughs> like, but in terms of just offensive sort of firepower, offensive acumen um, pieces that sort of fit together in a really logical way, and just some numbers too that are that that could be a bit troubling. Um, I do think this offense, even for all the gains that Mikhail Bridges made, and you know Cameron Johnson and some of the other pieces they moved in the, into the offseason, I'm I'm of the mind that this offense could be a real real struggle this season. And I think Nets fans need to start preparing themselves. Yeah, and it's interesting too because we're going to focus obviously on these two players and individually, and then collectively what this team put forth over the back half of back half that last twenty seven games of the past season, even into the playoff series. By the way, which I actually think is informative on both these guys. But if we look at Mikael Bridges to start, you mentioned it there. Yeah, he he advanced so much of his game coming over from Phoenix, looking at the three point shooting that still stayed consistent despite taking two more attempts per game after joining Brooklyn. The shots from the field, again, marginally higher on a much higher volume, 26 points per game. That's good for being the 12th highest in the league. So, you know, you're talking about having a top 15 scorer in the NBA, and yet he is not necessarily the model of player that is capable of taking over an offensive game maybe in the most critical moments and i know you have a lot of stats around around this stuff um, but i do want to get into the playoff sample size on mikhail bridges versus that regular season where i actually do think there's differences 
Yeah, look, I, I, we love Mikael Bridges, and I think he's mm. one of the best contracts there is in basketball. He was an absolute steal, uh, you know, figuring they got him in the draft or got him in the trade with KD, um, and to bring him and Cameron Johnson at the same time, the Nets, um, at worst, like you tied the trade, right? <laughs> like I think that's uh, that's as best, and plus all the draft picks, that's as good as you can hope to do at the deadline with a guy who's demanding a trade to like one team. Right. So right. this is like not anti Mikhail bridges under any circumstances, right? The guy no. made an absolute leap. There's a reason he is um, the favorite right now for most improved player going into this season. The The issue I think is that it's probably less about bridges, um, but more about if bridges is like offensive engine of your team, like where you are, like what the upside ceiling of your team is. Right. Because I right. think he's really good. Um, he obviously made some significant strides, but we saw the numbers really bear this out that we saw when he was the primary sort of focal point of the offense where the usage rate was the highest it's ever been. Um, and he was, you know, leading the team in shots and he was, you know, just basically sort of the fulcrum of the offense. The offense wasn't really that good. <laughs> right. And, um, I know they have another season of, of cohesion and there's, you know, this is, uh, you know, there's the, the, the makeup of the team is slightly different here, but Bridges is just, it's just like, and maybe it's, maybe you want to say to yourself, Hey, Bridges is good, but like the rest of it's not as good is it's not good enough. I, I, I can hear that case too. Um, and maybe less about Bridges and more about supporting cast, but like the numbers just bear it out. Like the negative net rating when in the play, the playoff was a real struggle. I, I, t- I sometimes tend to not want to like see that as like the be-, be all end all of like what they're, you know, ultimate thing is doing because there's one team and everything else. Right. But I don't know, like in terms of just overall sort of abilities and overall the way he plays his game, he's an awesome piece. I think he probably works more as a complimentary piece in like a really, really good team and good offense. But when the, the ask is to have him be like your most important player on offense, I do think there's probably limited upside on what the team can be. Yeah, it's funny, too, because I think it's important to keep hammering this. Love Mikhail Bridges. And, I, and you mentioned it there about part of me looks at it as it is, it's everything else around him, right? If you put Mikhail Bridges and just you know, think about any number of top 30 players around the league and you put one or two of those guys, another top 50 player in there with them, well, all of a sudden everything opens up for Mikhail Bridges in a different way. And I do think, you know, whether it's the Dennis Smith Juniors of the world or the Lonnie Walkers, like they've they've retweak the supporting cast in a way that I think you hope starts to balance the offense more where Mikhail Bridges opportunities look a little bit cleaner. You mentioned specifically about, so there's two things that I thought were interesting. The first one is the playoff performance. Now, again, we even said then that by the time he got to the playoffs and as that series wore on, I think everybody right got lost a little bit of their legs. He still shot Mikhail 40% from beyond the arc, you know, at six at six uh, attempts per game. It was still a 23, 24 point score. However, it just did not look like someone who could take the ball as currently constructed and go and get you a bucket every time down the court. And more specifically, because we're going to do this with Cameron Johnson coming up here too. More specifically, this is for the season overall. I thought it was worth noting. Mikhail Bridges is a minus 2.1 in clutch moments, shooting 22% from the field, 20% from beyond the arc. Like that, I think when you we talk about a bucket getter, I don't know if that is Mikhail, right? And, and that's probably this defining difference about when you look at a player like this versus looking at, the, you know, labeling him a 1A or a 1B, excuse me, rather than the 1A, right? It is these little marginal things that actually end up not only impacting his game, 
but then everybody else is making more opportunities for other players. Coming up here in a second, we're going to start to take a look, probably again here, we'll take another uh, peek at Mikhail Bridges before we talk about Cameron Johnson, but it's this bleed over where these guys are the two most important offensive players for this team. How can they complement and improve with one another going into their first full season with the Brooklyn Nets? All right, before we get to that, can I tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks? Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. That's because all you're doing over on Prize Picks is you're making entries and you're trying to figure out it's going to be more or less than the Prize Picks numbers. You're not wrestling with salaries like some of these other daily fantasy sites. You're not going up against a bunch of sharks in the water. It's just you versus the numbers that Prize Picks give you, and they have it broken down. I mean, every single way. You can you can even get an NBA now, right? If you go over to Prize Picks right now, or in the middle of July, you can go over if you think you know Victor Wembanyama. Yama is more or less than 18 and a half points per game this season. They got Scoot Henderson stuff up there. They got Jokic stuff. No, no net stuff up there. That's okay. Our pr- friends at Prize Picks are going to eventually sort this out. But they got NBA stuff. Obviously, MLB, PGA rolling through the summer. Forget about it when football comes around. It's all there for you over on Prize Picks. You do uh, you pick two to six players, you figure out if they're going to score more or less than their prize picks projection, and you can win up to 25 times your money download download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up to play daily fantasy sports first time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on if you deposit 100 prize picks will give you 100 if you deposit 50 prize picks will give you 50 don't forget to enter that promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 prize picks is daily fantasy made easy Okay, so before we get into the conversation on Cameron Johnson, as we're discussing what we think this offense can be for the Brooklyn Nets, and you and I at least, I think, agree that there could be a bit of a struggle. I I will say, by the end of this episode, you're going to feel like Adam Armbrecht is offering you some more optimism than Doug Norrie might be. As a reminder, before we get into Cameron Johnson as well, just on those clutch, uh, on the clutch gene, you can close out on McHale. That is the last five minutes of any quarter in any game within five points, right? So uh, the, not the last, last two minutes of any quarter within five points. So the sample size you're talking about in 26 games, this is a guy that had 10, uh, sorry, pause, here we go. 10 games played for Mikhail Bridges and a four and six record in those instances. And we're talking about a guy that struggled in those moments. Now, is that new system, new team, new opportunity still adjusting? Or is that confirmation that he's not that guy? That's that's really, I think, where I wanted to go with you. I I think he is a really skilled offensive player. Um, and I, so this is why I'm trying to like thread this needle of you know saying that you know because the efficiency numbers are decent o- over the course of the larger sample size. I I'm taking it from like. I took it from two thousand uh, from February fourteenth, so that's like three games in with the Brooklyn run, right? So a few yeah. games to get your feet wet. Now away you go. The offense rating was okay. Um, true shooting sixty one over sixty one percent. Okay, fifty five percent effective field goal percentage, thirty percent usage, which I like. I said was way higher than he'd been in the past. It's more that it's more. I think he in in a vacuum is a fine offensive player. It's mostly just like I said the whole view of the team and we'll talk about this Cameron Johnson and we'll talk about some of these other guys because it's not all Mikhail Bridges here like the no. I, I want to be clear too like our case for the Nets you know not being maybe a top flight offense is not all because of, there's plenty of other reasons here it's not all Mikhail Bridges right it's most of my optimism mostly, is is around having Mikhail Bridges right it's mostly <laughs> that like it's mostly that my concern is kind of falls after him and that he's really good, but he's not like a transcendent offensive talent. And the, here's the, and here's right. the issue: when you are not a transcendent offensive talent, combined 
with the rest of the supporting cast, which I guess we can start getting into now, that's more of the issue. If he was like, if it was like him and KD, right? Like you'd be like, oh my God, like you'd be in, feeling, I mean, that's not a perfect example, but like him and Luca, like if, if those, yeah. if those, that that's the case, you're looking at a really, really good thing. It's problem is that there's probably a sig- even a significant drop off from one to two here. And I think that's the problem. We can get cam and then, and then talk about some of the support and cast. Yeah, and how about this, by the way, though, because I just did this in real time thinking about Mikhail Bridges and you see that efficiency sample size. So I went back to 2020-2021 when he was with Phoenix, 36 games in that same clutch territory, shooting 46% from the field, shooting 40% from beyond the arc, knocking down his free throws. So it's just like it's, that's it's the good reminder that a lot of these things, especially around Mikhail, I want to chalk it up as has the supporting cast improved itself that allows Mikhail to continue to take that next step forward? And that's where we get to the one B of this team, which is Cameron Johnson and whether or not we think that his playoff performance, which showed you that little next level that we were hoping to see from him. Can that carry over and be a consistent element going into this upcoming season? So this is key. This is, you know, among the many keys for the Brooklyn offense, like this is the start of one of them. Like Cameron Johnson has to be, more like he played in the four games uh, against the Sixers and less like he played in basically the entire rest of the run up to the playoffs with the, with the Nets, yep. which was under, which was completely underwhelming. Right. And it, it, you know, depending on how you feel about which one is the real version of him, there is going to sway your feeling to some degree about the Nets offense, because Cameron Johnson in the regular season in his Brooklyn, I mean, he's 37% from three. It has to be, uh, this is coming off like well over 40% for his career shooting yep. threes. Um, the field goal percentage, uh, the, the field goal for percentage from twos was actually up a little bit, but he was taking more shots there. That's a, probably a good sign for like how the offense effect, effectively needs to run here because he's going to need to be more than just a spot up three point shooter, right? Like he shot 43% uh, from the field and then he shot 51% in, in the playoffs just overall. If he's that guy, I would start mm. changing my tune a little bit. I, it's just, I'm, I, I don't know which sample size to trust. And when I'm not sure which sample size to trust, I'm it's, it's going to be a little bit more of a wait and see slash the bigger one, <laughs> right? Cause the bigger one is the one that looks a little worse, but the overall career looks a little better. But again, like with bridges and that we're going to find this out, both of these guys were effectively asked to do much different things than they were asked to do in Phoenix. And that, yeah, that can take time as well. And so if you think that, the the gains that can be made from being asked to do different things to like not being on a team with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Eaton and now sort of leading an offense, if the efficiency can stay in the best versions of these guys' selves, then you do have to give them a bit of a bump up, right? Mm-hmm. But it's 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 a big ask. These are just different than these guys have played for their whole careers. And I think I would trust Bridges to be able to carry it over more than Johnson at this point. But you know, I could that could end up looking foolish. What do you, it's interesting too, because in real time, my other thought is when you look at the playoffs and he bumps his, the percentages are all better and he ends up scoring a couple more points per game, 18 and a half in those four games. Um, but I did think about how much of that is the byproduct of if you're, you know, the, the 76ers, you're saying, yeah, Cameron Johnson, you can get yours, right? Which I think is the other, the other factor with Cam Johnson and him needing to take that step forward is alleviating the pressure, the focus the singular identification as, well, if we take Mikhail Bridges out of the game, supporting cast come beat us, right? And that's different than when it was the Kevin Durant-led Brooklyn Nets because for any team to say, well, we'll take Kevin Durant out of the equation. Well, you can't take him out of the equation, right? He can beat your double teams. He can shoot over anybody, all of those things. 
if you start to make it where Cameron Johnson, in theory, what, 30% of the time, 35% of the games needs to be able to take over for big stretches when the opposition tries to mitigate Mikhail Bridges, that that's my not honestly problem, but that is my curiosity because we talked about this too. I think that Cameron Johnson does have another element to his game. You talked about the different things that he had to do. If he can do a little more off the dribble work, if he can go at the basket a little bit more, that does make me look at him as being a more complete player. Not a one-to-one, but we always talked about how you try to take out Joe Harris from the equation and you put in a player like Cameron Johnson. You go, yeah, a little more athletic, better on ball, better off the dribble, right? Like all of those things get elevated in a positive way. But what's the threshold? Because in my mind, I'll say, My optimism is that Cameron Johnson is going to be a 20-point scorer this season. And we look as, you know, 50% from the field as it was in the playoffs, but it's got to be better than it was over those 27 games. If he's not a 20-point scorer, it's currently constructed, this offense immediately starts. You can just look and say, we're going to have struggles. There's going to be a lot of nights where it's going to be a struggle if we look at Cameron Johnson and he's a 15, 16 point score, it's not going to be enough as they're currently constructed. Oh yeah. It's, it's you're in big, big trouble. Probably. Um, he makes too much money now um, to not be like a pretty efficient scorer. Like that's just the case. Yeah. Look, when you get paid and he got paid a good, a good contract this summer and I, the contract's fine. Like it ends up being right in the zone that people thought the expectation level gets increased too. Right. You're not a three and D wing anymore. Right. You are a second, you know, tier scorer basically. And so, you know, if the if the if he's not going to be in those numbers, I you can probably say right now because because again, I, we'll get to the supporting cast here after these two guys. Um, yeah. Like if that's if those aren't going to be the numbers, then that's a really really in a trouble. And they're you, I'll tell you right now, if those are the numbers, then you I can tell you definitively that the Nets are in a big time trouble with their offense because after these two guys, it drops off. I mean, we can talk about Dinwiddie, but like it, there's there's yeah. there's other problems that on this roster makeup, which I don't know if we've fully addressed yet. And I'll also throw in here too, because I mentioned the clutch when it came to Mikhail Bridges. Johnson also a minus two in clutch moments, twenty two percent from the field, twenty nine uh, from beyond the arc was fine from the line. Him and both him and Mikhail Bridges are good in clutch moments from the free throw line, but uh, seemingly struggled from everywhere else on the floor. Coming up here in a second, let's get into everybody else because it isn't. this isn't just a grab bag of everyone else on this roster. You mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie. There are other key players that have been added this offseason that we think have key roles, but are they key offensive roles that are going to help to improve this team? We dive in on those guys coming up next. Okay, so let's start then as we're looking at the Brooklyn Nets offense and trying to determine whether or not there's reasons to be optimistic that as currently constructed, they can be a winning basketball team based on the offensive performances of this team. Now, when we go to get into um, Spencer Dinwiddie here, because I think he's the next logical guy to mention among others, I will also just throw this out. Um, I, I went and looked at Bridges, Johnson, Dinwiddie, and Claxton, because that's your core four, right? And I also took Claxton out of the lineup because he could impact things both positively and negatively on each end of the floor. The four of them together over 416 minutes, 116 offensive, 109 defensive. Without Claxton on the floor, 546 minutes, 118 offense, 110 defense. There's something that in in those numbers that makes me think this is about an offseason, about refining the system, about everybody getting a chance to really work together going into a full regular season, that those numbers tell me 
they should have been a better than 500 team over those 27 games for whatever reasons that they weren't right. A couple of key moments, defensive lapses, Cameron Johnson talked about a different system, a different style of doing things, different terminology. It's probably a weak hook to hang my hat on, but I am, I am looking at certain statistical numbers and going, they probably are better than what the record actually showed over those last 27 games. Uh, I mean, they might be, but here, look, I, like, I'm just going to say this other part too, like, because there's like the, 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 my biggest concern and depending on how you feel about like sort of how the, the roster, the moves that the, the, the nets made, there's no denying that one thing that is going to almost for sure get worse with this team is three point shooting. Like, I don't know how you can think it's going to get like a lot better, right? Like they, they basically offload whatever you thought of these guys, they offloaded their best, their two best three point shooters easily right in in joe harris and uh and um seth curry and and, and yudawa nabi shot the lights out of the building over the course of the season and he's sure. gone too and they were replaced with a guy in dennis smith jr who can't really shoot threes and lonnie mm-hmm. walker who's fine and darius Baisley, who's not really been able to shoot threes and so i i am a little and this is and this this is probably should have just said this at the top this is actually my biggest concern with the whole offense after you get past bridges and johnson is that like where is your floor spacing? Like, where is it? Do they have enough here? Like I, if, if Mikhail Bridges has the gravity to, to draw the attention of the defense, who is there to punish them? Right. Who is there to make them pay when those opportunities come? Dinwiddie's three point shooting stunk. Like, like over the course of the second half of the season, like they have, they have, they could have real, real problems here on the, on the offensive end with this too, because so, so stemming from once you get past the two and I'll throw Dinwiddie in as like a driver of the offense. Like if you look mm-hmm. at some of his stuff, the, the attacking the rim effective field goal percentage was really high. The pick and roll offense was bad. Right. And like, so there, there's a give and take with his game that you need to probably try to figure out. Um, you know, you want to hope that Simmons is able to help you floor space, but do they have the guys to punish that? Like, I'm not sure that they really do, you know, Cam Thomas might be like their next best three point shooter at this point. And is he really going to play? Like, does that make sense? Like these concerns past the individual guys, like bridges, Cam Johnson, as a collective, mm-hmm. my, I probably my biggest overall concern about this team's like offensive ceiling besides just like who the personnel are at the top is like, do they have enough shooting? I, I could see, I could say that they probably just don't uh, like I like they just I don't know where you think it's coming from. It's like they offloaded their best guys. Yeah, those guys had other problems, but because they all hit threes and like among well, the best in the league and they're not there anymore. And, and later in, the, in this week, we have a lot of great shows lined up and one of which is going to be looking at the defensive side of things. And I think that that's going to create this balanced perspective right around what you think they can achieve now there's no denying that three points is worth more than two and if you don't have more three-point shooters you're going to struggle when you mention a guy i'll try to go with the positive side of this or the optimistic side i should say when you mention a guy like spencer dinwiddie we talked about this when they brought in dennis smith jr it's hey you brought in another pure table setter offensive guy that can run they can run the point for you and i in some ways, my optimism is also around getting the guys into their proper roles, like getting them into the right lanes. Whether or not Spencer Dinwiddie has never has struggled at times or been streaky, you go back and you look at him when he played in Dallas, and guess what? The Nets don't have a Luka on this team, but you can see how the three-point percentage can benefit by being off-ball and waiting for those open opportunities. He shot a much better percentage with Dallas when he moved to Brooklyn because those three-point looks 
came in different settings. So I, I do wonder about that. And I don't think we're going to belabor this when we talk offensively, but we will mention his name because I think you have to. If Ben Simmons is in the mix here from a offensive table setting facilitator, his size, the driving at the basket, those things do matter to me. And I think the question becomes, when you come out of these two trades between Dallas and between Phoenix, are the sum of these parts and the free agent moves you made this offseason, have you fully reconstructed the roster in a way that makes sense for you? Or are you still waiting on what Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, what, you know, what works for us? Because otherwise we could be walking into another season where it's, you know, we're almost there, but remember we made all these moves out of necessity, not out of design. So I, I, that, that's always going to play a role to me about how consistent this offense can be. I want to hit, um, get your thoughts and then hit just a couple of key stats here before we well, close Well, and out. just remember too, like we talked about Bridges and Cam Johnson. I'm actually not worried about them. Like those guys no. can't space the floor and hit threes. It's it, yeah. again, like we said with Bridges too, the drop off after these guys is pretty stark. Like it, it's yeah. pretty, it's, and unfortunately there's just 48 minutes in a basketball game and you need to play five guys at a time, right? Like, so I hate to you know, spoil or some of those numbers, <laughs> but, but after those guys, like where are you getting consistent, reliable floor spacing from after those guys with this with this lineup? It's like it's really tough to see. You really have to squint and see it. You're asking for some of these guys. You're just asking for things that they've never done or at best never done consistently, right? Except for maybe yeah. Lonnie Walker and even him, 35% for his career. It's not like he's totally lights out, right? Like he's not – Joe Harris, Seth Curry, these guys were 40% three-point shooters. Um, and like – where are you getting floor spacing off the bench? Where are you getting, you know, are you going to get enough consistent playmaking off the bench to to make up for some of those gaps? It, I'm not sure. Like, it's it's really really tough to see. And I and I know people wanted to drag Harris and they want to drag Seth Curry and playoff stuff and like the defensive liabilities and all these other problems that they had. Sure, there's no denying that on the other side of the court they like needed that spacing bad. Like bad, and um, I'm just concerned that they're not going to see it. Among other things, like offensive rebounding and second chance points, that they're not that they've never been able to get anyway, <laughs> right? So we can go right. really long with this episode. We won't, but like, there's they have other problems that bleed into offensive performance because it's not like they can clean up their mistakes either because they've never done right. they can't offensive rebound. <laughs> so like, it's like they're gonna miss they're gonna miss shots and not be able to capitalize on that end either. So and here's here's a note on the offensive side of things. 82 games. This includes when they had the superstars and then the post trade as well. The Nets were minus 3.4 on field goal attempts, 29th in the league, minus 2.3 on free throw attempts, 27th in the league, minus 4.6 on rebounds overall, and minus 3.2 offensively. They were, however, plus 2.1 on assists, fifth in the league. But all those offensive numbers there where they struggled, that's even including the superstars. And, I, I you know... Th- I wanted to make sure I just made this one note about I'm curious as to what type of offensive system this is going to look like, because to your point, if you tell me you're coming in and you're looking to be a volume three point shooting team this year, I have real concerns because the personnel doesn't tell me that you have the ability to do that. So tell me that you're going to be something else, right? Tell me that, and we'll get to it later in the week, that you're going to be a defensive-minded team that's going to drag people down. Okay, fine. That combined with having to outshoot other teams. The Nets struggled when they had superstars. It didn't matter because they were superstars. So their shots were going in at a higher clip. If you're not going to have that higher percentage, then you need to be a team that on volume, just on attempts, can get yourself across the line in a lot of these situations. 
or am, or am, or yeah. like to throw in it just to go to piggyback that or you're like we create so much defensive chaos that when we add Simmons and Dennis Smith Jr. and maybe even Dinwiddie to some degree like we're a really great transition team like sure. can they right, be right, great right. can they can they be great in transition because of the chaos you produce on the other end I can see that I will say that's a very difficult thing to rely on like you can be a, a pace and push team they have not been maybe but you that you're hoping there Simmons changes the whole equation. Um, right. and maybe DSJ a little bit too. But and you can only work in transition when there's misses. There's no transition game on made buckets, right? Or steal like, or that, steals. I mean, like, or yeah. or yeah, 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 I'm saying like our steals or live ball mm-hmm. situations. Like, so, but again, that's a hard thing to rely on. I think you know, from a, a reliability standpoint, three-point shooting is pretty sticky over the course of a season, right? Like you can like you'll you'll regress to that mean much faster, I think, than you will to like transition baskets, just because you're it's just more it's just a more reliable stat. It requires like a few less um things to happen. And so yeah, I think overall, just to like put a pin in this maybe for me and then you can close it out. But I just I, I wanna just from my point of view, it looks like this. It's like I like that Bridges and Cam Johnson are on this team. I think this will be I think it's gonna be an interesting thing to unfold. This for me, I have real concerns over the offense, just the offensive makeup of who they have here, even though I liked each individual move on its own, right? Like, I like the Dennis Smith Jr. signing. I like the Lonnie Walker signing. I liked getting off Harris's contract. I like not re-signing Curry. I like finally getting off Patty Mills. Each one of those moves, great. Would do them again, no problem. But now that it's done, and we're looking at these 14 guys (laughs) or whatever, when you look at it, it's like, oh, there's some major gaps here and those gaps could be make it for at times tough to watch basketball on the offensive end. Yeah, for sure. And I think overall I continue, like I am always the optimistic <laughs> version of looking at things. I don't mean between you or me. I mean, in general, I always want to look at guys and say, Cameron Johnson improved. Mikhail Bridges showed us these things. And to your point, Dennis Smith Jr. and Lonnie Walker, will they improve the backcourt? They improve an area of the game that, that needed to be improved. They've gotten worse in other areas, more deficient in other areas, but but what that all adds up to is still the TBD. And I, and I, <laughs> hopefully what gets proven here is, is like the unknown ends up being a positive, right? As opposed to the unknown is maybe closer to what numbers and a lot of this stuff could indicate of like, we're going to be a struggle here, right? So I have to wait and see on the offensive side of the ball and still remaining some of these X factors, as we mentioned, Ben Simmons, and then whether or not Cam Thomas ever exists as a Brooklyn net, I think are two things that do have a high impact point for this team. For sure. And I probably, we could have brought up Cam. We could have brought up a lot of other points to this thing. This is a, this is a big topic, right? Like just talking about yeah. the overall offensive firepower of a team is a big topic. Like there's lots and lots of ways to do it. I'm sure this would be, we're going to dissect this other ways over the course of the season. We're going to talk more about the defense. We're going to talk about some win totals, talk about Tyler Hero, Royce O'Neal. We got a ton of stuff coming up this week. In the meantime, make sure you are subscribed to Locked on Nets over on YouTube as we push towards 6,000 subscribers. Really would love to get there. Well in advance of the season. I don't want to have a sweat. And we're getting close now. I think we'll probably easily do it, but you can help get us there faster. by Just subscribing over to Locked On Nets on YouTube and listening wherever you listen to the podcast. Totally free in both places. Just like every NBA team every year, we'll definitely be back next season. And if not, it'll be because an asteroid destroyed all of human civilization. And that's canon. And that's Abed from Community. Ah, two of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.